This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 30, Rishyashringa. Last time, we followed the Pandavas as they began their grand tour of the holy places. With the sage Lamasha as their guide, the travelers were regaled with stories of the famous hermits associated with these sites. At one location, they came across the hermitage of the famous hermit Agastya, and so we heard the story of Agastya and his wife. The group then wandered onwards until they reached a sacred fort on the river Kaushiki. As they arrived at this new destination, Lomasha pointed out the hermitage had once been inhabited by Kashyapa and his mutant son, Rishishringa. Kashyapa was one of those hardcore ascetics who lived by a lake in the woods and had not laid an eye on a woman in years. One day, while he was bathing in the lake, the Apsara Urvashi appeared and took a naked dip in the lake. The sight was more than the old sadhu could bear, and he blew his wad right there in the lake. This seed was so potent that a female deer drinking at the shoreline suddenly conceived and gave birth to a mutant, a baby with a single antelope horn growing from his forehead. Kashyapa adopted this boy as his son and named him Rishishringa. The strange boy grew up in the woods with his holy father, perfectly innocent of humanity. Around this same time, the king of Anga, named Lomapada, had offended some Brahmins, and they had left his kingdom in a huff. After their departure, all rain seized within Lomapada's borders. The drought was relentless and famine threatened. King Lomapada hired some consulting Brahmins to advise on how to get the rains to come. The advisors told him that as long as these Brahmins held a grudge, there would be no rain. They offered one way out, however. They told the king about the hermit's son, Rishishringa. They said, Fetch this boy, for he is a forest child, ignorant of women, and devoted to virtue. If this hermit lives in your realm, the rains will surely come. The king then summoned his advisors to devise a plan for retrieving the special boy. When they learned he was an adolescent who had never even seen a woman, the solution seemed obvious. The king called on the madam from his favorite brothel and assigned her the task of enticing this boy away from the forest. The courtesan only requested that the king build a boat with an authentic hermitage built on it. It looked just like a regular hermitage, with grass and trees and huts, but the trees were all of the finest fruit trees and the huts were decked with flowers. The courtesan floated the boat to Kashyapa's lake and then sent her witty daughter to approach the innocent boy. The clever girl waited until Kashyapa had wandered off to starve himself in a cave and then approached Rishishringa. The girl greeted Rishishringa as if she were a fellow ascetic. Rishishringa observed, You seem to glow, sir. I do not know you, but you are welcome. Pray tell me, what kind of vow are you observing, and where is your camp? Please have a seat and allow me to wash your feet. The girl answered, My hermitage is far from here, but there we do not greet each other this way, nor do we use water to wash our feet. The boy said, Well, at least allow me to offer you something to eat. We have roots, nuts, and berries. Which do you prefer? The girl turned him down again, saying, We have much better food at our place. Try this. She offered the boy pastries and curries from the king's kitchens washed down with the finest wine. The boy couldn't believe there were such beautiful Brahmins who had such delicious snacks. The girl began dancing and playing. She draped colorful scarves over Rishishringa's shoulders and allowed her own clothing to fall loose. She giggled, stole kisses, and danced around. Just as the boy was getting uncontrollably excited, she gave the boy a hug and told him she had an Agnihotra sacrifice to attend to and skipped off into the woods. Rishishringa was beside himself with longing and confusion. When his strange visitor departed, he no longer had any appetite for roots and nuts. Water could not quench his thirst. He just sat and dreamed of his new friend. Sometime later, the boy's father returned to the camp and was surprised to see the boy just moping around while the cows had wandered off and the firewood was used up. 
Kashapa asked him, You don't seem to be yourself, son. What is troubling you? The boy replied, A fellow student came by today who had braided hair. He was not large, and he had the brightest eyes I've ever seen. On his chest he had two globes of flesh, and he had no hair on his chest. It was most beguiling. His waist was pinched, but his hips were full. He had little bells on his ankles and wrists, and when he moved, they made a musical sound. His voice was like the cuckoo's song, and it disturbed me somehow when he spoke. As I watched him, father, I felt great joy and love. He embraced me again and again, and pulling my head lower, he placed his mouth upon mine and made a sound that begot great pleasure in me. He would not eat our food, but the food he had was like nothing I've ever eaten. His fruits were much sweeter than ours, and they had no skin or pits. He gave me a liquid to drink that was very flavorful, and as soon as I drank, surpassing joy seized a hold of me and the earth seemed to sway. Since he left, I have been beside myself, and my body feels anxious. I want to go back to him straight away. I would like to join his hermitage and study with my new friend every day. The old man grew serious. He said, These are demons, my son. They assume these beautiful shapes and wander the earth in order to distract us from our practices. Those drinks were evil liquors which are cherished by the wicked folk, but are forbidden to the faithful. Rishyashringa listened to his father obediently, but he still could not shake his infatuation with his new friend. He used every excuse to wander off and search for this fabulous ashram that must contain his friend. After a few days of fruitless searching, Kashapa once again set out for penance in the woods, leaving the boy to tend the camp. Later that day, the courtesan made another visit. The boy was rapturous to see her again, but he feared his father might return and find them together. He said quickly, let's go to your ashram before my father returns. This was just what the girl wanted to hear, and she led Rishyashringa to her floating ashram moored on a river. Once the boy was on the barge, he was quickly led indoors, where they entertained him with dancers and baked goods. Being unfamiliar even with boats, he did not notice as the boat was unmoored and floated downstream right into the kingdom of Anga. The king had planned ahead of time, and so the boat was moored on one of his game parks, and the riverbank was made up to look like a hermitage. Shortly after arriving in this parched land, the rains finally came. King Lomapada had success in ending the drought in his kingdom, but now he had to worry about what Grishyashringa's father might do when he found out what had happened. Since he wasn't a greedy man, he did the best a king could do in such a situation. He gave the boy his own daughter to marry, and made him a prince and advertised to his subjects that this boy had ended the drought. The boy's father had not wasted a moment once he discovered that Rishishringa had run off. When he worked out that the king of Anga had abducted his son and had subjected him to temptation and gluttony, he resolved to burn the whole kingdom in retaliation. As Kashyapa crossed into the lands of Anga, he had a difficult time traveling. The lands had all been put to the plow. Even the roads were plowed and planted and were springing with verdant new crops. The peasants, however, all greeted him warmly and gave him generous hospitality. Wondering at their courtesy and prosperity, he asked them, Good men, who is your landlord? His hosts bowed humbly and said, All this wealth is due to your son's generosity. Everywhere he went, the common folk praised his son for the wealth and good fortune they had experienced since his arrival. All the kind words and hospitality cooled Kashapa's anger, so that he was feeling pretty good by the time he made it to the palace. At the palace, he was greeted by the king and then introduced to his new daughter-in-law, the Princess Shanta. It didn't hurt that Kashyapa's grandson would one day be king of Anga, so the hermit blessed the arrangement. He instructed Rishishringa that once he had produced a son for the crown, he should return to his father in the forest and resume an ascetic's life. After some years, Shanta gave birth to a son, handed him over to the palace, and departed with her husband for the forest. 
There, Rishishringa resumed his old way of life, and Shanta loyally served him. Lamasha said, And Shanta religiously waited on him, as the lucky Orandati waits on Vasishta, as Lopamudra attends on Agastya, as Damayanti did on Nala. So did Shanta obey Rishishringa there in the woods. The Pandavas pressed onwards with their great pilgrimage, apparently continuing eastward to the region around Kalinga. Among their stopovers, they took a ritual dip in the Vaitarani River. There, as it Yudhishthira entered the waters, he exclaimed, The second I have entered the water, I felt like I transcended the earthly plane. I have a complete view of all the worlds. I once made the hike on foot to the headwaters of the Yamna River, high up in the Himalayas, at a place called Yamnotri. There, there is a hot spring and a temple to the goddess. Since we were foreigners, we were sent out to the untouchables bath. I remember the water was scaldingly hot. I remember the water was scaldingly hot, but I failed to have any transcendental visions. But still, it was a fantastic adventure. As for the Pandavas, they continued eastward until they reached the sea altar, which I presume was on the shore of the Bay of Bengal. There they greeted a mixed crowd of sadhus. These ascetics came from various schools, including Burgus, Angirasis, Vasishtas, and Kashyapis. Yudhishthira greeted each, and then addressed a leader among them, who was of the Rama school. This isn't the Rama of the Ramayana. Rather, it refers to the famous Brahmin, Rama Jamadagni. He is perhaps more well known as Parashurama, which I'm told translates roughly to Battleaxe Rama. Obviously, Yudhishthira knew all this already, but he asked this student of Rama's to tell him more about the hero's background. The ascetic told him that Rama himself comes around to visit about twice a month. Yudhishthira then asked, you're a follower of the powerful son of Jamadagni. So tell me, how were all the Kshatriyas defeated by Rama in battle? The story began with a Brahmin of Burgu descent named Ruchika Bhargava. This Brahmin managed to win the hand of a Kshatriya princess in marriage. At their wedding, the Burgu elder blessed the bride with the son for both herself and her mother, who was still young. His only instruction was that the couple should each hug a tree, an Ashvata tree for her and an Udumbara tree for him. Unfortunately, the pair of tree-huggers got their varietals mixed up and they each hugged the wrong tree. The result of this error was that the Brahmin's son would be warlike, while his Chatriya mother-in-law would have a priestly son. They went back to the elder and begged to undo the error. All he could do was delay their fate by putting off the warlike son for one generation. Her son would be a normal Brahmin, but her grandson would be a warrior. Ruchika's son was named Jamadagni, and he grew up to be the joy of the Bhargavas, surpassing his peers in Vedic learning and the science of warfare. Jamadagni also married a Kshatriya princess named Ranuka. Ranuka gave birth to five sons. The first four were average, but the youngest, Rama, outshone them all. Many years later, when the boys were presumably adolescents, Ranuka went out to gather fruit. Along the way, she came across the king Chitaratta of Mritikavati, who was playing at the river with his wives. Now let me quote directly from the translation what happens next. It says, When she saw the king playing in the water with his wives, Ranuka coveted him. From this bad thought she wetted herself mindlessly in the water and returned to trembling to the hermitage. Her husband found her out, and seeing that she had lapsed from constancy and had lost her Brahmanic beauty, the powerful and overbearing man vilified her. The old man, in his rage, summoned his five sons and ordered the eldest to execute his own mother. The boy hemmed and hawed, but would not agree to kill his mother. The second son also refused, as did the third and the fourth. 
The old man then cursed the boys to be senseless like animals. Finally, he ordered Rama to kill Renuka. Rama obediently raised an axe and cut off his mother's head. After a while, Jamadagni calmed down a bit and blessed his son Rama for having been the obedient son. He asked Rama what boon would he wish for. Rama said he'd like his mother and brothers restored, and to have everyone forget that he had killed her, and that his karma not reflect the action. His father agreed and put everything back the way it was. He also blessed his son, saying he would be unrivaled at warfare, would live forever, and would have all that he desired. A few years later, on a day when all the men of the family were away, a certain king, Kartaviria, made a raid on the hermitage, stealing their calves and destroying their settlement. When Rama found out what had happened, he set out with his bow to fight the king. As soon as he saw the king in the distance, he fired iron-tipped arrows, cutting the king's arms and legs off and then killing him. Rama then returned home, his vengeance sated. It turned out that Kartaviria had a number of sons, and they were all determined to strike back at this uppity Brahmin. The king's sons once again raided the hermitage. This time, Rama was away gathering firewood, but the old man Jamadagni was home. The old man did not put up a fight, and the princes killed him on the spot. When Rama returned home, he lamented and swore to kill everyone even remotely connected to this murder. He performed the funeral and cremation rites for his father, and then armed himself for war. Parashurama then single-handedly killed the princes, their retainers, their nobles, and finally the entire race of Kshatriyas. It says elsewhere that the Kshatriyas were reformulated when the surviving Kshatriya widows copulated with Brahmins and made their sons honorary Kshatriyas. However that happened, Rama once again exterminated them all. He repeated this genocide 21 times until finally his grandfather, Ruchika, begged him to cut it out. So that's the story of Parashurama as given in the Book of the Forest. Following this, we are told that Rama Jamadagnya himself made an appearance and Yudhishthira greeted him reverentially. If anything was said between them, we don't know because the story moves quickly on to the next holy site. That's all for now. I had promised last time to go into the strange relationship Rishishringa has with the legend of the unicorn in Western mythology. According to our translator, J.A.B. Van Buitenen, the earliest sources of the unicorn myth come from Egypt in the 2nd century AD. In the Physiologus, they describe the unicorn as a goat-like creature from India with a single horn growing out of its head. It is gentle, but can only be captured by a virgin. Given that in many other versions of the Rishishringa story, the princess Shanta is the boy's seductress, it really sounds like the Greek writers conveying a corrupt version of the same story. Other evidence includes the other name for Rishishringa, which is Ekashringa, meaning one horn. We might guess that the transformation from an ascetic into a deer is due to the other mythical beast from India, the rhinoceros, which merged along with our story by the time it made its way to the west. Thanks for listening.